0: Kinda like Matthew McConaughey over here. <laughs> anyway, hey y'all, and welcome back to Book of Monsters podcast. I hope y'all have enjoyed my first two episodes as much as I enjoyed making them. I know I've been gone for a little bit, a couple weeks now. It's just kind of a stressful time. Haven't been feeling well, so we're just gonna get back into it now. Um, I am still debating on whether or not I want to make a another episode specifically just for um, Sylvia Likens' trial, Um, I guess that's something y'all would have to let me know if you want to hear it or not. But for now, I will be talking about the place that has been considered the most haunted place in America, or as I've read in some instances in the world. If you're from Louisville, Kentucky, or the surrounding areas, I'm sure you've heard of this place before. It's, it's quite massive. It's a, a, everybody talks about it. Um, but we're going to be talking about Waverly Hills. So let's talk about a little bit of the history of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. The land that Waverly Hills sits on was purchased by Mayor Thomas H. Hayes in 1883 as the Hayes family home. Since the new home was far away from any existing schools, um, Hayes decided to open a local school for his daughter to attend. So it started as a one-room schoolhouse located on Pages Lane in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Lizzie Lee Harris was hired as a teacher, and because she was so fond of Walter Scott's Waverly novels, she decided to name the schoolhouse Waverly School with an E at the end, so W-A-V-E-R-L-E-Y. Mayor Hayes liked the peaceful sounding name, so he decided to name his property Waverly Hills. So construction for the building started in 1908 and opened for business on July 26th of 1910 as a two-story hospital to accommodate 40 to 50 tuberculosis patients. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name Waverly when they opened it as a sanitarium, but it is unknown when the spelling changed from having an E at the end to not. So when it was opened as the school, it was spelled the um, W-A-V-E-R-L-E-Y. Now it's spelled W-A-V-E-R-L-Y. Um, so throughout the years, this spelling has fluctuated, and no one's really sure when it changed. Um, so in the early 1900s, Jefferson County was severely striked with an outbreak of tuberculosis. I will be referring to it as TB, just for everyone's reference in the future. Much easier to say. (laughs) Um... There were so many TB cases in Louisville at the time because of the wetlands around the Ohio River, which was perfect for carrying um, TB bacteria. So in order to contain the disease, a two-story wooden sanitarium was opened, which consisted of just an administrative or main building and two open air pavilions, each housing 20 patients for the treatment of early cases. In 1911, the city of Louisville began to make preparations to build a new city hospital, but because no action was made, the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital was given $25,000 to construct a hospital for the care of advanced cases of pulmonary tuberculosis. In August of 1912, all the tb patients from the city hospital were relocated to temporary quarters in tents on the grounds of waverly hills pending the completion of the hospital for advanced cases in december of 1912 a hospital for advanced cases opened housing 40 more patients and in 1914 a children's pavilion added another 50 beds making the capacity around 130 The children's pavilion wasn't necessarily for the the sick children, but also for children of TB patients who didn't have anyone to care for them properly. So due to constant needs for repairs on the wooden structures and the need for more more durable structure, as well as the need for beds so that people would not be turned away due to lack of space, Construction of a five-story building that could hold more than 400 patients began in March of 1924. On October 17th of 1926, a new building opened, but after the introduction of streptomycin, I hope I said that right, which was an antibiotic, um, in 1943, the number of tuberculosis tuberculosis cases Gradually lowered, until there was no longer need for such a large hospital The remaining patients were sent to Hazelwood Sanatorium in Lowell and Waverly Hills closed in June of 1961 So Waverly Hills was described as a self-co- self-contained community a city in and of itself complete with its own zip code It had its own post office, water treatment facility, it grew its own fruits and vegetables, raised its own meat for slaughter, and maintained many of the other necessities of everyday life. Everyone at Waverly, patients, nurses, doctors, and other employees had to say goodbye to everything they knew in the outside world. Once you went to Waverly Hills, you became a permanent resident, quote unquote, on the hill but oddly enough despite that fact many patients still received visits from loved ones on visiting day and when the visit was over the visitors left waverly and ventured back out into the community so through the years waverly hills has changed into multiple things in 1962 it reopened as woodhaven geriatric center which was a nursing home primarily treating aging patients with various stages of dementia and mobility limits, as well as the severely mentally handicapped. Woodhaven actually failed due to being understaffed and overcrowded. There were also multiple reports of Woodhaven also being neglectful of its patients. So, Woodhaven closed in 1982. In 1983, a developer named Jay Clifford Todd from Simpsonville, Kentucky, bought the hospital for $3,005,000 and he wanted to convert it to a minimum security prison for the state with architect Milton Thompson, but due to the complaints and protests of the neighbors, the developers dropped the plan. Todd and Thompson then proposed converting the hospital into apartments but they counted on Jefferson Fiscal Court to buy around 140 acres from them for $400,000, which would give them the money to start the project. So in March of 1996, Robert Alperhaski, I believe is how you pronounce it. I'm so sorry if I butchered a couple of words here and there, but um, he had bought Waverly Hills and the surrounding areas, Albert Hasky's Christ the Redeemer Foundation Incorporated made plans to construct the world's tallest statue of Jesus on the site, along with an arts and worship center. The statue, which was inspired by the famed Christ the Redeemer statue on Corcovado Mountain in Rio de Janeiro, I believe I'm saying that right. I know it's um a statue in brazil so i could be completely butchering that um but the statue would have been designed by local sculptor ed hamilton and architect jasper ward phase one of the development came in at four million dollars but it would have been a statue of 150 feet tall and 150 feet wide situated on the roof of the sanatorium The second phase would convert the old sanatorium into a chapel, theater, and gift shop at a cost of $8 million or more. Their plan to construct this fell through because donations on the project fell well short of expectations. Only $3,000 was raised toward the project despite efforts to pool money from across the nation, and the project was canceled in December of 1997. So there was actually a tunnel built on the first floor of the hospital, which served as a passageway to transport bodies and supplies in and out of the sanatorium. The corridor is 500 feet to the bottom of the hill and has a set of stairs on one side, which were the stairs used for the workers. And on the other side, there was a cart that moved up and down the staircase, which transported supplies and other necessities. Since the death rate of TB patients at the time was one death per day, And since antibiotics didn't really exist at this time, that the sanatorium was active, other forms of aid were used to treat TB patients. For example, they had heat lamps, fresh air, positive talk, and reassurance helped to keep patients alive. However, at the peak of the disease, the sight of the dead being carried away in full view of the patients lowered the patient morale. So, the sanatorium tried transporting the dead bodies as secretively as possible to increase morale and lower the death rates, using the tunnel to that end. The doctors and workers of this time also believed that this would help lower the disease's spreading rate. So, the tunnel was also known as the body chute, or death tunnel, by locals and paranormal investigators visiting the sanatorium. And apart from transporting dead bodies out of the sanatorium, the tunnel also served as a temporary air raid shelter during World War II. After Albert Haskey's efforts failed, Waverly Hills was sold to Tina and Charlie Mattingly in 2001 for $230,000. The couple purchased the site in hopes of restoring the sanatorium and turning it into a local tourist attraction. Together with volunteers from Waverly Hills Historical Society, the group now runs regular historical and ghost tours all year round. They host a haunted house attraction each Halloween with proceeds going towards restoration of the property. They're also currently restoring all the windows in the building while restoring the interior of the old sanitarium. In August of 2007, Waverly Hills hosted the last show of the touring music festival, Sound of the Underground. The show featuring prominent acts in the extreme metal and metalcore scene. Unfortunately, similar festivals or concerts will not likely be held due to the complaints by the local by the local residents. So Tina and Charlie Mattingly still own the site to this day. And Waverly Hills Historical Society is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the preservation and restoration of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. The history of its past employees and patients, as well as the education of the public, of the history of TB in the affected area. Alright, so now that we know the history of the building and everything that it was, once was, or wasn't in some cases, let's talk about the hauntings that have gone on at the sanatorium. The hauntings, in my opinion, are the most um, interesting factor of Waverly. The history is, it's fascinating and it's amazing how many different things that it was turned into or was supposed to be turned into. But so much has happened on the grounds of Waverly that it's just undeniably interesting to me that something has to have gone on. So Waverly Hills is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the country and to some sources even the world. The building lost over an estimated of 50,000 patients, so I would get if if people stuck around after death. It is said that spirits often linger on the locations where there are there was a strong emotional or physical reaction preceding someone's death. Many things that happened inside Waverly are voices heard in empty rooms, ghostly apparitions caught on cameras or recording devices, odd smells, and unexplained physical sensations. Some legends of the building include a little boy named Timmy. Timmy lived at Waverly Hills. He was not one of the sick kids, but he was one of the kids that was there due to his both of his parents being admitted with Stage 3 TB. Timmy was described as a very outgoing boy and loved to play ball. He captured the heart of one nurse, Mary Hilgart. I hope I said that right. Um, But Mary would play ball with Timmy and talk with him for hours and they developed a real special bond. There had been a playground that was built on the roof of the hospital with space to run and play ball for all the other kids as well as Timmy. But one summer day when mary was busy with other children timmy was chasing the ball and timmy had fallen or was pushed it was very unclear off the roof and fell five stories to his death people say that if you roll a ball down the hallway timmy will roll it back to you so in room 502 is one of the hot spots for paranormal activity it is said that a pregnant nurse allegedly committed suicide in this room. According to the legend, the nurse was impregnated by either a doctor in the sanatorium or the hospital owner. It's not very clear on which one. You know, we, we may never know. But um, when he wanted nothing to do with her or the baby, she decided to hang herself. People have encountered the nurse as well. It is believed that she roams the hospital. She roams the hospital after her death and there has been a conflicting amount of stories as to how the woman hung herself. Some people say it was from the light fixtures, others say it was from a pipe over the door and even from the rafters. This would not be the only tragedy to occur with a connection to room 502 though. In 1932, another nurse who worked in the same room jumped from the roof patio and plunged several stories to her death. No one seems to know why she would have done this but many have speculated that she may have actually been pushed over the edge. There have obviously been no reports to indicate this, but the rumors still continue to persist. So the least frequently cited specter is a mysterious man in white that drifts through the corridors late at night. There is no information regarding who the ghost was in, in, in life, but his presence is often cited by individuals brave enough to take a deep dive into the maze-like facility. So visitors also say that they often hear unexplained footsteps and disembodied voices in the death tunnel. Um, Volunteer workers, volunteers that work towards the restoration have been said to experience ghostly sounds, heard slamming doors, saw lights appear in in the building where there should not have been any. Um, They've had objects thrown at them or struck by unseen hands, and they saw apparitions in the doorways or corridors, and much more. So this is a short little excerpt from the website spiritualtravels.info says as we entered the fifth floor a friend in the group whispered to me that he suddenly felt an opp- oppressive weight do you feel anything he asked not a thing i whispered back but then our guided but then our guide cooperated my friend's intuition by explaining that a great deal of paranormal activity had been reported in this room over the years perhaps connected to the suicide of the nurse that had a- occurred here many years ago and then the next piece i'm gonna read is another story it's much longer than that little that little bit i just read but it's a story from the website um american haunting hauntings inc.com of the writer's first time experiencing waverly hills So the first time I visited the hospital was in September of 2002. I was in town for a convention and a friend of mine who had been working with the owners at Waverly Hills offered to take me to see the place that I had been hearing all about. At that point, the old hospital had been open for tours but had not reached the level of infamy that it has today. There had been no television shows, no books, no websites dedicated to it in those days. It was literally a dark and stormy night when we arrived at the hospital and it had been raining all day. I was looking forward to seeing the place, no matter what the weather, and not because I was convinced that I would meet one of the former patients face to face. It was simply to experience the place for myself. By this time, I had traveled all over the country and had been to hundreds of places that were alleged to be haunted. I had felt just the same way before exploring all of them, so Waverly Hills was no different to me, it was just an old spooky building with a fascinating history. The fact that it was alleged to be haunted simply added to the experience. I have I had long since abandoned the idea of expecting too much. After meeting with the owners, we went inside and started our exploration of the building. The building was almost silent, all that I could hear was the sound of our own footsteps, our hushed voices and the drip of rain as it slipped through the cracks in the roof and splashed down onto the floor. I was given a full guided tour in various, and saw various rooms, the treatment areas, the kitchen, morgue, and on and on. We climbed the stairs to the top floor and I saw legendary room 502, as well as the lights of Lowell as they reflected off the town an ominous looking cloud that had gathered above the city. The only four The only floor that we skipped was the fourth, but my friend explained that this was the only floor in the building for which the entrance was kept locked, and he had saved it for last. When we finally arrived on the fourth floor, I got the distinct feeling that something strange was in the air. I made absolutely no claim of any psychic ability whatsoever, but there was just something about this floor of the hospital that felt different than any others. What had been nothing more than just an old ramshackle and broken down building suddenly seemed different. I can't put into words what felt so strange about it, but it almost seemed to be a tangible presence that I had not encountered anywhere else in the place, and right away, eerie things started to happen. We had entered the floor in what I believe was the center of the building. Behind us was the wing that I was told not to Behind us was the wing that I was told was not safe to enter. Sections of the floor had fallen in, and this area was off limits to tours and visitors. The strange thing about it was that both of us clearly heard the sound of doors slamming from this part of the building. I can assure the reader that it was not the wind either. The wind was not strong enough that night to have moved those heavy doors, and this clearly sounded as though someone was closing them very hard. When I questioned my friend about who else could be there with us, he explained to me about how unsafe the floors were in that section. I examined, I investigated on my own and determined that he was correct. There was no one walking around on that part of the fourth floor. I switched off my flashlight and we walked down the corridor, using only the dim ambient light from outside. The hallway runs through the center of the building and on either side of it are former patient rooms. Beyond the rooms is the porch area that opens to the outside. It was there where the patients were placed to take in the fresh air. There were no glass there was no glass ever placed in the huge outer windows, which had left the interior of the floor open to the elements ever since. On this night, the windows also illuminated the corridor, thanks to the low-hanging clouds that glowed with the lights of Lovel. We walked down through the dark and murky corridor and I began to see shadows that flickered back and forth. I was sure that this was a trick of the eye, though likely caused by the lights or the wind moving something outside, but it was where the corridor angled to the right that I got a look at something that was definitely not a trick of the eye. In order for the reader to understand what I saw, I have to explain that the hallway ahead of us continued straight for a short distance and then turned sharply to the right. In the early 1900s, most in- institutions of this type were designed in this manner. It was what was dubbed the bat wing design, which meant that there was a main center in each building and then the wings extended right and left, then angled again so that they ran slightly backward like a bird or bat wings. Directly on the angle ha- ahead of us was a doorway that led to the treatment room. I only noticed the doorway in the darkness because the dim light from the windows beyond it had caused it to glow slightly. This made it impossible to to miss since it was straight ahead of us. We took a few more steps and we took a few more steps and then without warning, the clear and distinct silhouette of a man crossed the lighted doorway passed into the hall, and then vanished into a room on the other side of the corridor. I got a distinct look at the figure, and I know it was a man and that he was wearing what happened to be or what appeared to be a long white drape that could have been a doctor's coat. The sighting only lasted a few seconds, but I knew what I had seen. And for some reason, it shocked and startled me so badly that I let out a yell and grabbed a hold of my friend's jacket. I'm not sure why it affected me in that way, but perhaps it was the setting, the figure's sudden appearance, my own anxiety, or likely all of these things. Regardless, after my yell, I demanded that he turn his his light on and help me to examine the room the man had vanished into. After my initial fright, I became convinced that someone else was on the floor with us. My friend assured me we were the only ones there, but he did help me search for the intruder in an empty room with only one way in or out. There was no one there. Whoever that figure had been, he had utterly and completely vanished. I doubt that I was the first person to see this mysterious apparition on the fourth floor and it's unlikely that I will be the last. However, this sighting put Waverly Hills into a unique category for me in that I will firmly state that I believe it is haunted. Usually for me to do that, I must have my own unexplainable experience that goes beyond a mere bump in the night or spooky photograph. In this case, I had actually seen a ghost, and at the time, I could count the ghost sightings I had had on my own two fingers. Waverly Hills is haunted, and for me, seeing was believing. So with that little story being read, it's super creepy to think about. Um, it really just gives me chills, um, knowing that people have experiences such as these. Um, but Waverly has been a part of many TV shows, including Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear, and if you're a supernatural geek like me, Sam and Dean went to explore it on an episode of Supernatural. A Waverly Hills is a place where people can visit to do tours, including a six-hour public investigation, a a two-and-a-half-hour historical tour, a two-hour guided paranormal tour, a private investigation, or during Halloween, the owner set it up as a haunted house. No pun intended. (laughs) So to explore more, make a reservation for a tour, or donate to the nonprofit to help operate funding activities, including tours, investigations, or other activities, please visit their website at therealwaverlyhills.com and no, this is not sponsored by Waverly, I'd just like to throw that information out there for anyone interested in future activities and the preservation of the building. A lot of the donations go to keeping Waverly up, up, up to date um, and fixing it up to where it once was. Um, And I did read that a lot of the investigations and the tours and all of that started because most people took Waverly and partied in it and kind of destroyed it. So now all the donations and the money goes to keeping Waverly Hills um, in its good condition that it should be in so i actually have been to waverly uh one time since i've lived in this area um i went on a guided tour with my girlfriend and some of her family members for one for a a birthday present that i had gotten her and although i didn't experience anything while i was there i felt you know as though i mean it could have been because there was 20 something other people around us so i feel like a big crowd like that may not be good for um experiencing anything and it was also mid covid so they were doing things differently with their um, tours and such but it was very interesting to see they took us through each floor of the building told us the history of it, told us some stories that people um, have encountered there, and for me, I think one day that I really do want to go back and do maybe like a either two-hour or six-hour paranormal investigation where there's less people and it's strictly just me and maybe like a couple other people, um, just to see if I can experience anything. My girlfriend's not too big on it, just because she's very sensitive to the paranormal, so it freaks her out, whereas me, I've had paranormal experiences, but maybe not to the extent that most people do. Probably things could honestly be um, figured out, Uh, like cupboards opening and closing, things moving stuff like that, but I haven't experienced, like, seeing, seeing any, any shadows or anything like that, um, so I hope one day I can go back to Waverly and do some, some paranormal investigation like that, but anyway, if you wish to send me any of your ghost stories, whether it be Waverly, or, you know, any other paranormal experience that you'd have, you've had, I, I, would love to read it. I love reading all things paranormal, um, whether it's spooky season or not. Um, I just have, like, a weird obsession with the paranormal. (laughs) But you can send it to, uh, podcast at gmail.com and maybe be featured in a later episode. Maybe I can, uh, get some stories together of people's experience and make an episode just specifically on that um but yeah that is a wrap on this episode of book of monsters podcast i really hope you enjoyed listening to the history and the ghost stories of waverly and maybe you want to visit it one day um just let you know their wait list is like a year long so if you want to (laughs) better put your name in now (laughs) um but yeah Thank you guys for listening, and I can't wait to do another episode. Not sure what it's going to be over yet, but we'll figure that out. Until then, stay spooky or whatever.